Hello, and welcome back to our show, Talking About True Crime. We are your hosts, Olivia, and co-host, Michelle. In today's episode, we will be talking about Joe Matheny, dubbed as the cannibal due to his crimes. We will be covering his life and crimes. This is episode three. If you want to hear more, then please listen. We hope you will be as interested in learning about him as we are. Who is Joe Matheny, and what crimes did he commit? Find out in this episode of Talking About True Crime. Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, there will be things mentioned that are triggers for some people. Proceed with caution. Not recommended for people under the age of 13. Joe Matheny was born on March 2, 1955 in South Baltimore, Maryland. Joe's homicidal descent into homicidal mania was probably the result of his difficult upbringing, his excessive drug use, his experience in the United States Army, his subsequent homelessness, and according to him, his abandonment by his girlfriend. Growing up, Joe's early life wasn't easy. His dad was an alcoholic that was killed in a car accident when he was only six. His mom was trying to support a family of six children by herself. She wasn't able to fully care for her children while working double shifts to make ends meet. His mother stated he was a good student, polite, and never mean as a child. Joe said he was sent to live with other families in foster-like arrangements by his parents when he was a child. Some aspects of his childhood are clustered as his mom and him argued differently. He made false claims, including that his mother was dead. His mother stated that even though they were poor, that she had work as a barmaid, waitress, and a food truck driver. She also stated they never went hungry, relied on the government welfare, or became homeless, and that they were never put into homes of other families, as Joe claimed. She remembers he frequently rode his bike. She stated he was smart and had a good childhood, that if he was neglected, it was his own fault. Not much else is known about his childhood. When Joe turned 19, he enlisted in the United States Army. His mother also stated he served in Germany. Joe, however, claimed he was he served a tour in Vietnam and that he had become addicted to heroin while there. But that was a lie because the United States' involvement had ended by that time. Joe's newfound addiction to drugs after he returned from his service with the Army was, however, not a lie. His mother stated he just kept drifting further and further away. I think the worst thing that ever happened to him was the drugs. It's a sad, sad story. Joe began spending all his time in bars, living in makeshift homeless camps, and spending all his money on crack cocaine, heroin, and liquor. With his addictions, he was, however, able to find stable work as a forklift driver and even had a girlfriend and son. However, when Joe returned home from work one day, his girlfriend and son were gone. He suspected she left with their child to go live with another man. Joe flew into a vengeful rage. He said this is the event that started his spree of murders. The exact start of his killing spree is unclear. It's hard to tell what's true and what's not with his confessions. He stated his killing spree began in 1976, while some news reports said he started in 1994. The number of victims he said he killed changed over the years. His known body count is 10. There may be more if all his confessions are to be believed. Joe stated that in 1995, he murdered five people in the span of seven hours, but lack of evidence led to confusion on whether he did commit those crimes in such a short time. The first murder that was officially tied to him was that of a woman by the name of Catherine Magaziner. 
She was 39 years old and was a sex worker in South Baltimore who was said to have a drug addiction. In 1996, Joe confessed to killing and burying her at the work site he worked at as a forklift driver. About six months later, he dug her up to remove her head. He buried her torso in a different grave, then placed her head in a box and discarded it in the trash. When Joe was arrested two years later, he showed police where to find her body and her skull was found with the help of dental records. In 1995, when his girlfriend and son disappeared, Joe searched for them for days. He searched the halfway houses and under the bridges where his girlfriend used to buy drugs, but couldn't find her or their son. He came across two homeless men one day, whose names were Randall Brewer and Brandy Parker, who he believed were keeping information from him about their whereabouts. He murdered them with an axe. Their bodies were found August 2, 1995. Joe was arrested for their murders, and when he was denied bail, he spent a year and a half in prison for their murders while awaiting trial. When he went to trial in the summer of 1996, the jury found him not guilty due to lack of evidence. When he was released, he began killing sex workers and selling human flesh before he was caught in December of 1996, just five months after being released. In November of 1996, Joe killed Kimberly Spicer. She was a sex worker working in South Baltimore. Joe brought Kimberly to his trailer. He killed her and dismembered her body and disposed parts of it under some wooden pallets at his work as he lived near his workplace. Kimberly's mother later stated Kimberly had her problems, but she was a battler, always struggling with her problems and hoping to turn a corner. When he was arrested, Joe confessed he had eaten his victim's flesh and stored some of the victim's flesh in Tupperware containers he kept in his refrigerator. At one point, he mixed their flesh in with the meat he sold at his roadside BBQ stand. He stated there wasn't much difference between the taste of pork and human flesh, and customers didn't notice the difference. When he made this disturbing admission, it became the most discussed aspect of the case and turned him into what what they called him as the cannibal. Police caught him with the help of his friend and an escaped victim. Joe's final victim, Rita Kemper, was a sex worker who was also working in South Baltimore. On December 8, 1996, he kidnapped her and took her back to his trailer. She said that Joe said he was going to kill her and bury him with his other victims. She, however, escaped and went to the cops for help. A week after Rita's escape, Joe called a friend and asked for help in hiding Kimberly's body. This friend immediately called police, and on December 15, 1996, the police arrested Joe. Joe told police that he assaulted and murdered two sex workers the same night he killed Brewer and Piker. When he allegedly saw a fisherman near the bridge where he killed the four victims, he used a metal pipe to kill the fisherman. Joe claimed to dump their bodies in the river and placed rocks on them so they wouldn't float to the top. No evidence was ever found of these alleged crimes. During his confession, he said he enjoyed killing and would not apologize to his victims' families as it would be a lie. He said God knew all about what he did and was quite happy to be judged by him as well as a judge in the court of law. He was fine with God sending him to hell for eternity. Joe also said at the time, my murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets for taking the life of another. He received the death penalty, a life sentence, and 50 years for kidnapping Rita. He was also indicted on murder charges relating to the death of 28-year-old Tony Lynn Ingracia, but the charge was dropped due to lack of evidence. 
On July 24, 2000, his death sentence was overturned and he was reduced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He was sent to Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland. Joseph Matheny was found unresponsive in his cell by a prison guard on August 5, 2017. He was 62 years old at the time of his death. While police did an investigation into his death, they presumably didn't suspect or cover foul play. Okay, Mom, what do you think about that? What we just read. If barbecue stands, I'm not going to be eating their meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, screw <laughs> that, man. Yeah. Oh, and it tastes like pork? Yeah. Okay. I'm not testing that I ain't testing out. that out either. That's no. just sick, man. No. Like, what the hell? If it doesn't come from a cow, forget it. Yeah, like, <laughs> fuck that. That and serving it to unsuspecting people? Yeah, and then them people finding out later that the, they ate. Oh, I wonder what they did. Puked yeah, their guts out? Probably puked oh, their guts out. Oh, I know out. I would have Like, been. I would be horrified if I ate humans. Uh -huh. Like, that's just sick. Sick. Some puke-worthy shit right there. <laughs> You're stuck on that, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I, how can he serve that stuff like that and, and not even tell them, you know? And I bet you when the people did find out, they're like, oh, man, that first thing I would have done was puked. But then after that, I, I wouldn't be stopping at barbecue stands yeah. and getting food. I would uh -huh. actually go to a restaurant. Yeah. Mm -mm. I would have threw the sandwich back at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want this, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, if he didn't have a bad childhood, I mean, it doesn't sound like he got abused by his mother or anything. And his mom said that he was a good kid and everything. You know... I think the drugs is what pushed him over. Okay, so my thing is, what the hell changed his brain mm -hmm. to be thinking like this? I mean, for one, raping people, raping women, I should say, that's one thing that's bad. But then to sit there and dismember them is a whole nother thing. And then to use some of their bodies to eat their flesh and then serve their flesh to other people who don't even know they're eating humans. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, drugs must be bad, bad, like worse than I thought in order to be making somebody do all that. And he, he, could, he could be doing so much drugs <clears throat> that he, his mind was thinking that way. I don't know, man. I've, if if heroin and crack cocaine make people think like that, like... Well, don't forget the alcohol. Well, I, I drink alcohol, and it don't make me like that. Well, and Dad you... drank alcohol, and it didn't make him like that either. So it's got to be the... <laughs> the drugs. The crack cocaine and, and the, the heroin. Yeah. Like, well, I, mean, I I heard just those alone can make somebody flip. Well, <laughs> and, and it said it was excessive, so... Yeah. That means he constantly did it all the time. So if you walk up to him at any time of the day, he's messed up on the drugs. Yeah, probably. Like, I mean, at least one chick got away. Yeah, but she was, was lucky. Yeah, but she's the one that blew the whistle on him. Yeah, and his supposed yeah, friend. friend. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, also did... blew the whistle, which he's a good guy for that, because I think I would somehow try to find a way to report it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I if he and make sure he doesn't know where you live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to come back and get you. Yeah. No, I don't understand what 
makes people tick. We and, and and doing this kind of thing, it's it's inhumane to do any of this towards another human. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when they didn't even do nothing wrong to yeah. warrant that kind of behavior. I and mean, you probably picked the sex workers because they are usually people that they're not looking for. Yeah, exactly. He needed some major help. Uh-huh. I think he should have been locked up way before now. So he wouldn't have done that. I mean, he doesn't have that much of a body count of the known count. And we don't know that the police don't even know what's true of his and what's not. They just know for sure of the 10 people. Mm-hmm. But he could possibly have more, but they can't sit there and prove it because lack of evidence. evidence. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's stupid that they can't convict him over stuff that's lack of evidence. I don't understand that whole part of the justice system. If you feel there that he's guilty or she's guilty of something for sure, there's got to be a way to pin them for that crime. Now, when I watch forensic files, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, cases of lack of evidence, which means they can't physically put the person there. Yeah. Okay? That's what's the problem. They don't have enough evidence to put him there. But if they did, they could. When they sit there and check out, you know, check out what they need to try to convict him, something stops them and they don't have no more information. You know, they have information to a point, but then after that, they can't connect him to it. Yeah, well, I just think it's unfair that the victim's families don't get justice if they can't convict the person of the crime, Mm -hmm. if they don't have enough evidence of the crime that that person did. Yeah. That's not right, and that's not fair. Those those victims' families deserve to have justice as well as the victim as well. Mm-hmm. And get some kind of justice out of all of it. Yeah, exactly. The fact that he was found unresponsive in his cell. And yeah, the, that's peculiar. How? What he do? Either he just died from old age or obesity because he's so big. Yeah, because he was like 450 pounds and 6 foot tall. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. From what I read, I think. Yeah, it it could be due to health problems or something that they didn't know about. I don't know. Or it was just his time to pass. Well, see, he was only 62. I don't consider that old enough to pass yet. Uh, Some people do. But then again, he deserved to die in my opinion, so... Well, he died in prison <clears throat> where he needed to go. Yeah, but I think he was in an, in a crazy house or something because it said correctional institution. So I think he was in the nut ward, but it was prison-like since it said correctional. Yeah, or somewhat asylum. Something. Uh, you know, a little bit of that and yeah. a little bit of asylum. Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be more in-depth examinations of what makes these people the way they are and what makes them tick mm-hmm. what makes them do what they do i mean they got and a, what's the reason for it yeah and they got a pretty good start on a lot of them yeah i mean one of my favorite people in law and order svu is wong oh yeah george wong yeah because the psychiatrist yes yeah. because he's very knowledgeable on the Thanks. people, yeah, the people that they cover or cut, mm. catch or whatever. He's a very good reader on them. Doesn't he 
usually predicts something out of a person and then later on they find out what he said is true yeah i think most of the time that happens yeah i like wong for that too and yeah. he's passionate and caring along with it yeah exactly yeah he uh, svu has some real dillies in there yeah but it, it's being a forensic type of person that i'm constantly watching i learn new techniques or strategies or i forgot what else that's called but they have an expert for anything you can think of. Yeah. Okay? And that's what's mind-boggling. That you know, there's there's always, you know, there's like um, a tire person. He's There's an expert that's tire impressions. Yeah. Uh, there's a splatter blood uh, person. Mm-hmm. And it's really neat to listen to what they're saying in the thing because they tell you about it. Uh, of how they do find the part of it or whatever they t go in deep so i got it i i like that show and i keep watching it yeah and then the other ones so i kind of learned from them and this here it seems like they need to focus on what makes this person go from this to this yeah what triggered that from you know like he had a good home life yeah okay well what triggered him exactly to start his killing spree. Yeah. They really don't know what started it. Yeah. That's what they need to focus down on so that way they can put him in the mental institution or something and try to give him help. Yeah, exactly. But they can't help him unless they know what his problem is. Yeah. And that's another story to go on because trying to find what pe make people tick is the hardest thing to find out. Yeah, exactly. And in the process of doing that, they're either continuing what they're doing or they stop them and put them in a mental ward. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just think that there's there's got to be ways of finding out. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? No, that's about all I can think of right now. Okay. All right. Well, everyone, how do you guys feel about what we talked about in this episode today? How do you feel about Joe? Let us know in our email, talkingaboutsurecrime3051 at gmail.com. This has been your host, Olivia, and co-host Michelle on our podcast, Talking About True Crime. What we covered in this episode is the life and crimes of Joe Matheny and him raping, killing, dismembering, and even eating some of his victims and feeding them to other people. Please spread the word to your family and friends if you like what we did here and if you think they would like what we cover and discuss here. If you all hear anything we need to work on, please email us at the email I mentioned earlier. We are open to suggestions on how to improve. We do not have a website for our podcast, but hope to have one soon. In the next episode, we will be covering Ed Gein, who is an American serial killer and body snatcher. We will be finding out exactly what crimes he committed and hope you will be here to listen. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to an entire episode and we really want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking About True Crime. If you did, please leave us a review on Spotify as it Will help us get noticed. If you want to hear more about true crime from us, then please follow us on Spotify. Thank, Thank you. you.